Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 181. Today's big Bible question, is God impressed by our religious exploits? Well, hello, friends. Happy Friday to you. Allow me to urge you and I both to pray ever more for God's mercy and healing for our land, for repentance and for the fear of God to rise up in our political leaders, our medical leaders, our church leaders, and our family leaders. This is a time for us to humble ourselves, pray, and ask God to remember mercy and heal our land. Raise your voice to the heavens and keep raising it. I know this coronavirus thing has been such a grind for so many of you. Uh, I meet weekly with uh, various pastors, uh, pastors in the city of Salinas that I'm with. We meet over Zoom about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us uh, from Salinas, and then also a group of Southern Baptist pastors from uh, the Central California region that I'm in right now, about two or three dozen of them, and I can see it in them. I'm sure they can see it in me. It's it's getting weary. We're weary of this. Uh, I think a lot of people had hopes that uh, we were sort of nearing the end, but now it looks like we haven't even reached the peak yet, and that's disheartening. But that doesn't mean we should stop praying. This is a time in particular when we are maybe a little disheartened, we are maybe a little concerned or whatever. This is a time to press in all the more and cry out to God for mercy. Uh, So friends, don't let up on the gas of doing that. Keep going. Today's Bible readings are Deuteronomy 31, Psalm 119, 97 through 120, Isaiah 58, and Matthew chapter 6. Time has erased the exact date from my memory, but sometime in the late 90s, or it may have been the very early 2000s, my wife Janet and I found ourselves home early for New Year's Eve. Now, that's really weird, so it may be that she was asleep, or she may have been pregnant with our first daughter and tired. I don't know why, but she went to sleep fairly early, and I was in bed with her reading the Bible. Now, this was an age before smartphones, so I wasn't looking at my smartphone. And lest this story fool you, I need to say that I don't normally read the Bible right before midnight on New Year's Eve, but was doing it on this particular night for some reason. That night, I was reading Isaiah 58, and as the clock struck midnight and the new year began, something strange happened. It was like the Word of God came alive in a more powerful way than it literally ever had done so for me. The words of Isaiah 58 were thumping into my heart like arrows, and they left a deep and lasting impression on me. That's honestly probably the way every reading of the Bible should go for us since it's the Word of God, but just kind of being honest with you, that hasn't been my experience. But on that particular night, it was. And it lit me up. And it was so encouraging, but also really convicting. It shook me. Now, every passage of the Bible is important for various reasons, of course. But I do believe that Isaiah 58 is one of the most, those peculiar and particular passages that are maximal in their contents of truth and their communication of the heart and passion of God. Now, for most Christians, if I say the word fast in a church context, one would assume that I meant the voluntary foregoing of food for a certain amount of time, and that's, of course, the proper biblical definition of fasting. But that said, 
In Isaiah 58, God redefines the word for us in such a glorious way, pointing out a truth that we must understand as the people of God. And that truth is this, doing religious deeds, even religious feats of sacrifice like fasting, when our hearts are far from God and our actions are far from those that are God-pleasing, all that's a waste of time. God is not impressed by our church attendance, by our programs, by our writing, by our doing of daily Bible podcasts, by our scripture ministry memory, by our years in ministry, by our speed and sword drills, by how many sermons we've preached, by how many sermons we've heard, how many biblical languages we know, how many Christian podcasts we're subscribed to, how great our theology is, how many hours of seminary we've completed, how many people go to our church, how many we people we've witnessed to, or any other thing like that. He's not impressed with him if our hearts and actions are far from him. God is not impressed by our outward religious behavior. God is impressed by the inner person and by activities that are God-pleasing and line up with the word. So he says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, uh, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Likewise, Matthew 16, 7, we just talked about this verse a few days ago. Jesus says, hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. So God in Isaiah isn't telling us not to fast or to not to memorize scripture or witness or to go to church, not to do all those things. Those are good things. We must do them. He's telling us that they're meaningless if our heart is far from God. So imagine a husband coming in and giving his wife flowers, sort of cavalierly tossing them down at her feet with barely a glance in her direction. Then he sits down and watches a big football game and doesn't pay any attention to her. And maybe he says, hey, why are you so upset? I got you some flowers. Well, in the same way that wives are not impressed by empty gestures like that, that have no heart behind them, God is even less impressed. Indeed, it appears he's repulsed by religious activities that are not wholehearted and don't line up with his word. Consider a passage like Malachi 1.10, where God says, I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies. And I will accept no offering from your hands. You realize what he's saying? He's saying, hey, I'd rather you guys shut the doors of the church than keep on going like this because it's not pleasing to me. I'll be honest with you. I don't know the heart of God in the midst of this coronavirus, but I know it has prevented thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions maybe of churches around the world from meeting. And I can't help but wonder I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying I can't help but wonder if we're facing a Malachi 110 situation where God says, hey, I want to see the fear of God in you. I want to see repentance in you, righteousness and cleaving to my word. So I'm going to shut the doors until you turn to me and repent wholeheartedly. Again, not saying that's what God is doing, but I'm just telling you I have wondered aloud and wondered internally multiple times if that's not part of the puzzle piece of what we're going through with coronavirus. 
So let's now do something slightly out of character and turn to our old friend Charles Spurgeon. Well, that's not out of character, of course. We reference Mr. Spurgeon many times. But what I'd like to do today is read through his verse-by-verse notes on Isaiah 58 and at the same time read the text of Isaiah 58 alongside those notes. And since Brother Spurgeon, our good friend, friend of the podcast, lived in the 1800s, we're going to be reading the King James Version. So buckle your seatbelts and listen up. Chapter 58 of Isaiah, verses 1 and 2. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins, yet they seek me daily. And Spurgeon says, There are many nominally religious people who are full of sin, They have an external religion which allows them to live in rebellion against God, and such people are not easily convinced of sin. Hence the prophet is bidden to lift his voice like a trumpet. Yet, even if he does so, they will not hear him. There are none so deaf as those that will not hear, and these men are not wishful to hear what God has to say to them. Yet they seek me daily. Verse 2. Delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Spurgeon says, They are always in a place of worship, if possible. They cannot have too many services and sermons, yet they have no heart towards God. Oh, my dear friends, let us always be afraid of merely external religiousness, genuine conversion, real devotion to God, true communion with God. These are sure things, but mere outward religiousness is nothing but so much varnish and tinsel. It is indeed but the ghastly coffin of a soul that never was quickened unto spiritual life. This is the way these sham religionists talk about their religion. Verse 3, Wherefore have we fasted, they say, and you see not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and you take no knowledge? Spurgeon says, When God rejects a man's religion... What must be the reason of it? Here is the explanation. Back to verse 3. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. You fast, but you make your workmen toil on still. You determine that they shall not have one atom of their labor abated, and you make an amusement of what you call a fast. In the day of your fast, ye find pleasure. Verse 4. Behold, you fast for strife and debate, to smite with the fist of wickedness, You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Spurgeon says, The best sort of mere external religion will soon turn sour if you do not worship the Lord in a right spirit. God will loathe the very form of your service. Why, you might, by hypocrisy, make even prayer meetings to be hateful in the sight of God, and the ordinances may be made as abominable to God as the Mass itself. You can soon degrade sermon hearing into mere listening to rhetoric or oratory, and the Sabbath day may easily become an object only of superstitious and formal observance. The heart, the heart is everything. If that is wrong, it sours the sweetest things under heaven. Isaiah 58 chapter 5 says, Is it such a fast that I have chosen? a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? And Spurgeon says, Does God care for the externals of worship only? Is he satisfied with sackcloth and ashes and the hanging down of the 
head like a bulrush? Verse 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Spurgeon says, Yes, this is true fasting before God, not to demand your pound of flesh and declare that you were have it, not to grind down the poor man to the last farthing, but to lose the ba- loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free. Verse 7, Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Spurgeon says, That is the kind of fast the Lord approves, to deny yourself that you may give to those who are in need. Verse 8, Then shall your light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thy call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and the speaking vanity. Spurgeon says, That is, if thou shalt take away all oppression, all wrongdoing to men, all talking of falsehood and speaking vanity, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Verses 10. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. What promises God gives to those, says Spurgeon, who consider the poor and needy round about them. But if you shut your ears to the cry of the distressed, God will shut his ears to your cry. A sobering thought. Let's finish out the passage in the King James Version. Verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, saying, I am now 120 years old. I can no longer act as your leader. The Lord has told me you will not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God is the one who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will drive them out. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you. As the Lord has said, the Lord will deal with them as he did Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them over to you, and you must do to them exactly as I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, 
Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give to their ancestors. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Moses wrote down the law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the Lord's covenant, and to all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of debt cancellation, during the festival of shelters, when all Israel assembles in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses, you are to read this law aloud before all Israel. Gather the people, men, women, dependents, and the resident aliens within your city gates, so that they may may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow all the words of the law, this law. Then their children who do not know the law will listen and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The Lord said to Moses, The time of your death is now approaching. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting so that I may commission him. When Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting, the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood at the entrance to the tent. The Lord said to Moses, You are about to rest with your ancestors. And these people will soon prostitute themselves with the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will abandon me and break the covenant I have made with them. My anger will burn against them on that day. I will abandon them and hide my face from them so that they will become easy prey. Many troubles and afflictions will come to them. On that day they will say, Haven't these troubles come to us because God is no longer with us? I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all the evil they have done by turning to other gods. Therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the Israelites. Have them sing it so that the song may be a witness for me against the Israelites. When I bring them into the land, I swore to give their ancestors a land flowing with milk and honey. They will eat their fill and prosper. They will turn to other gods and worship them, despising me and breaking my covenant. And when many troubles and afflictions come to them, this song will testify against them because their descendants will not have forgotten it. For not I know what they are prone to do. Even before I bring them into the land, I swore to give them. So Moses wrote down this song on that day and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous for you will bring the Israelites into the land. I swore them and I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing down on a scroll every word of this law, he commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord's Covenant, take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God so that it may remain there as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you are rebelling against the Lord now while I am still alive, how much more will you rebel after I am dead? Assemble all your tribal elders and officers before me so that I may speak these words directly to them and call heaven and earth as witnesses against them. For I know that after my death you will become completely corrupt and turn from the path I have commanded you. Disaster will come to you in the future because you will do what is evil in the Lord's sight, angering him with what your hands have made. Then Moses recited aloud every single word of this song to the entire assembly of Israel. Psalm 119 Verses 97 through 120. How I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. Your command makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders, because I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I have not turned from your judgments, for you yourself have instructed me. 
How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. I have solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. I am severely afflicted. Lord, give me life according to your word. Lord, please accept my free will offerings of praise and teach me your judgments. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your instruction. You are my shelter and my shield. I put my hope in your word. Depart from me, you evil one, so that I may obey my God's commands. Sustain me as you promised, and I will live. Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Sustain me so that I can be safe and always be concerned about your statutes. You reject all who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is a lie. You remove all the wicked on earth as if they were dross from metal. Therefore, I love your decrees. I tremble in awe of you. I fear your judgments. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward." But when you fast, put oil in your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Well, friends, may God's word give you peace and comfort and encouragement. May it point you to him and may his sweet spirit be with you. Be safe out there in the power of God and in his word. Godspeed.